Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Just a programming note for you. At the bottom of this hour, Matt Dolan is going to join me. He is running for the U.S. Senate in Ohio. J.D. Vance has gotten all of the attention of late. And now in second place, you've got a whole bunch of people uh, together. And the Dolan camp said, can he come on? Like, sure, I'd have have everybody on. Um, he asked, so he gets on. And I actually like the guy a lot, too. I like his staff. Um, good pro-life conservative in Ohio who is actually, uh, really actually is a conservative. Um, but uh, that's at the bottom of this hour. Right now, uh, I want to actually take some phone calls from people who've been waiting rather patiently. And I want to begin with Lori. Lori, welcome to The Eric Erickson Show. Hi, thank you for having me. Sure. So I was I was calling about the student loan forgiveness and just relay my experience. My son, when he was going to be graduating from high school, he's looking at his dream school, which was NYU, out-of-state mm-hmm. tuition. I explained that there was no way that we could afford that without him getting student loans. That that would I estimated about $200,000 in student loans. And he, in his 18-year-old experienced life, explained that that would be fine. He would pay that back. And I said to him that at 18, he does not have the experience or concept, understanding of what a debt of $200,000 would look like to him for the rest of his life, and that as a parent, it would be irresponsible of me to allow him to take on that type of debt and not guide him through this correctly. And it infuriates me to think that my child missed out on going to his dream school and that I would be footing the bill for other students whose parents did not guide them responsibly. So I appreciate you taking our calls and listening. Lori, I got to tell you, this is one of, and let's use NYU and and its costs. I, Mm -hmm. because of the reputations of these schools and the easy availability of student loans that your son would never pay a penny of while he was in school and have no appreciation of, and they would hit him six months after he got out of school. Uh, I am I, I'm really shocked that the approach in Washington is to bail out people's debt as opposed to doing something to force these schools to reduce their tuition. Uh, I, I don't think the situation is sustainable. I don't see how it can be. It's just not possible. And it's not fair to kids when they do the studies and research showing that with that college degree and over your lifetime, you're going to make more of an income. And he, his choice ended up being he's a musician. His dream is to be a, able to live financially as a musician. But in the meantime, he went to a technical school and got his associate's degree in the, through the electrical program. And that is something that can carry him on. But that he would be punished financially for not choosing to go to college. I don't know how we get that. I, I say stigma. It's almost mm-hmm. as though there, there's a whole society that we have to change and that college is the path forward and the only path forward and the only thing that we put value on financial dollars towards as far as those right. salaries and such. It, and particularly now that we've it's got... A, it's a, it's a, it is, and, and we've got now such a, uh, a shortage in this country of plumbers, electricians, uh, and, and others who would be considered manual or blue-collar work, and yet they get can get paid very well 
they're definitely needed, and we don't have enough of them. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. look, I, mm-hmm. I appreciate very much your phone call uh, and a wise choice on your part. Uh, it really was. This is a problem, honestly, that we got to deal with. And, and those of you just, just I, I want to get back to other phone calls here in just a second, but let me make this point. If the Democrats bail out student loans, they are taking away any opportunity to correct the cost of college. And college costs are exceeding the rate of inflation in this country. We have inflation at a 40-year high, and college tuition increases are still outpacing that. Colleges are pricing themselves out of the market, and I actually think the solution is for the federal government to get out of the student loan industry. Colleges can keep increasing their tuition rates because the federal government keeps giving student loans. And while you're in college, if you've never had a student loan, you don't pay a penny on your student loan while you're in college. You don't pay a penny. I know I've I've had it. I'm still paying on mine. I didn't pay a penny of them when I was in college. And for six months after you get out of college, you don't. But six months later, the bills start coming due. And here's the thing that other people don't realize and what kids in college don't appreciate or really fathom or understand is that every day you are in college while you are getting student loans and you're not paying for them, the interest is accumulating. So when you get out of college, six months later, you get your student loan bill. It's got all that accumulated interest. You take out your your $10,000 loan and and suddenly you're like, why is it $15,000? Well, because... For four years, there was interest compounding. It is a real problem, real problem. And I really genuinely do think that the government of the United States has played a role in this by making loans so freely available with very little string attached. If they bail people out, it's actually going to make the entire situation worse for everybody and drive up costs and inflation and all of that. This is a, a it's it's a bad public policy idea for the government to forgive people student loan debts, uh, particularly when so many people have either paid off their debts and they're not going to get anything or made other choices to avoid the student loan debt to begin with. And they're going to be stuck paying off people's bills. It's such a problem, such a problem. And colleges are responsible for this. And I talk, by the way, to college presidents. I know a number of college presidents, and it's a concern that they have in many cases, and they feel like they've got to continue to pay a lot of money for a lot of salaries and a lot of facilities to attract kids, and they know they're playing with a time bomb here, and they haven't found a solution to it. Uh, and and they're going to have to come up with, way. you know, um, what's his name? Mitch Daniels the former governor of Indiana, the former head of OMB for George Bush, is now the very popular, highly successful president of Purdue University who has made it his mission to keep his costs down. And keeping his costs down has been a number one priority for him. In Texas, Rick Perry, when he was governor, got ridiculed by the higher education establishment for forcing Texas schools to offer a $10,000 college degree. You should be able to get a college degree in this country from a public school for $10,000 and have it valued as a bachelor's degree. But there's a level of arrogance in higher education, and that arrogance is 
gonna ultimately be the undoing of higher education in this country. Now, back to the phones we go. Daniel, you're going to be up next. Welcome. How are you? Doing well, Eric. How about yourself? Good. Uh, continue prayers for your wife and your family, and thank you for all you do for the uh, conservative movement and Christianity. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I want to get to the point real quick. I just got a question about the $33 billion that the administration is talking about um, sending over to Ukraine. And while I'm not opposed to helping them out. I'm actually a disabled combat veteran. But I'm just wondering, uh, how much has the NATO countries contributed, and why are we at $33 billion now and not at the start? And, um, you know, just curious as to where all that money is going to go. And yeah, you, you know, we can... we're actually sending Ukraine more money than the EU combined. Uh, Poland and the UK are the second biggest contributors, and they're actually proportionally contributing uh, to their budgets what we're contributing, which is commendable of them because we have more money than these other countries, admittedly. Uh, but yeah, the, the European Union isn't. In fact, Germany is the biggest impediment uh, to sending more arms there. Now, we are sending different levels and caliber of, of weapons than we had been. Uh, what we're doing now, we had originally been sending defensive weapons, so anti-tank weapons, anti-aircraft weapons, things like that. We're now considering sending helicopters, tanks, aircraft, and offensive weapons. Uh, to put this in perspective, though, of, of what we're doing with Ukraine, and I want to explain why uh, on a larger level because I don't think this gets appreciated by a lot of people. The nature of the battle in Ukraine has changed. So we were focusing on helping uh, Kiev stave or Kiev stave off the attack. In fact, there is a report out uh, that uh, American intelligence efforts helped stop Moscow taking Kiev. Uh, our in uh, let me just read you this. This is from the Sydney Morning Herald. In an unprecedented information sharing operation, U.S. spy agencies divulged the coordinates of Russian forces and aircraft to Ukrainian troops, allowing them to preemptively attack. The intelligence led Ukraine to shoot down a Russian aircraft carrying troops to the Hostomel airport in the Kiev suburbs in the early days of the war, according to NBC News. The downing of the plane helped thwart Moscow's hopes of flooding the area with troops and equipment. Earlier reports suggested several Russian helicopters were hit by miss missiles before they reached the airport. An effort to take control of a military air base in uh, Vassil Kiev, south of Kiev, also met stiff resistance. Although Russian forces captured the airport for a short time, they were unable to use Hostomel Airport as an air bridge to replenish their resources and capture Kiev. American intelligence also helped Ukraine protect its own aircraft on several occasions by preempting Russian missile strikes. U.S. officials believe the level of sharing unprecedented for a non-NATO partner has been critical to Ukraine's success in repelling Vladimir Putin's advance despite Russia's superior forces. In particular, the U.S. assistance has blocked Russia from gaining dominance over Ukrainian skies. That is a really, 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 really big issue here. Uh, with Russia not able to control the airspace over Ukraine, Ukraine has been able to repel Russian forces more effectively. Now, larger issue here. I know a lot of Americans, a lot of conservatives in particular, are upset about the amount of money we're sending Ukraine. The reason we're doing this is because Moscow is already s signaling they tend to expand the front and go to Moldova. 
if there are spillover effects into NATO territories, they're cutting off, for example, uh, supplies, uh, gas supplies to Poland and Bulgaria. If they go into those countries, there's been fighting on those borders. We are obligated under the NATO alliance to get in. And you can say, well, we should get out of NATO, but this is why we need it. Uh, If the Russians expand their sphere of influence, it becomes deeply destabilizing to Europe. And if it's destabilizing to Europe, it becomes destabilizing to us. And additionally, we have lost our capacity to fight a two-front war. And this is more important, I think, than people realize. The United States, until Barack Obama, had a military that was capable of fighting two complete wars with global superpowers at one time. We had always planned this to be against China and Russia. We no longer have that capability because Barack Obama got rid of it. We are now able to fight one full-scale war and fight a second war defensively. We've got to weaken the Russians, whether you like it or not. We've got to diminish their capacity to make war, whether you like it or not, because we can't fight two global wars at one time. And the fight with China is coming. Everybody knows the fight with China is coming. It is in our long-term national security interests to help Ukraine and weaken the Russian military. It absolutely is. And I know you don't want to spend the money, and I know you don't see it, but you got to look long-term. If we diminish the Russian military capacity now, they can't very well help China or do anything on their own. And so then we will be able to have the resources to take on China when that time inevitably comes, and it's coming. It is in our long-term strategic interest to help Ukraine. It is in our interests to weaken the Russians. It is in our interest for the Russians not to spread through Europe. It is in our interests to keep Europe stable. It is in our interests to help push this back. And I realize it's frustrating, and I realize there are a lot of people saying they should be on their own and we should be isolationists. You can be as isolationist as you want until the moment you're surrounded. That's what Ukraine did. It was never about joining NATO, and I know people still say it was about joining NATO. We rejected their entry into NATO years ago. It was not on the table. I know the Russians say it, and some of you believed it, but it wasn't on the table. It wasn't in the cards. They were fairly isolated. They got surrounded. They've been invaded. We don't want to be isolationist or isolated because it will destabilize the whole world and make China even more aggressive than it already is. These sorts of things matter. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. There is a story from Fox News headline, America's angst-ridden consumer picks lowest price over brand loyalty report finds. Uh, What does that actually mean? That's a gobbledygook headline. It is, well, people are going for generics over name brands. Um, When you go to the grocery store, you're, you're not spending a ton of money on the name brand stuff. I gotta tell you, I refuse. I realize that Oreos are actually the knockoff from Hydrox cookies. I ain't buying the generic Oreos, they suck. And you know what's even worse? The generic Pop-Tarts. Generic Pop-Tarts are trash. Generic cereals in general, I know you say they're the same thing. They are not the same thing, y'all. They are not. Uh, I am am just, I'm absolutely not buying the knockoffs. I'm I'm buying the name brands. If it costs me money, it costs me money. On those, now there are are generics I will get. Olive oils, eh, they're all about the same, honestly. Um, Yeah. Frozen French fries, actually, I like the grocery store brand more than uh, the name brand 
um, French fry. And listen, I, I, if you follow me on Instagram at EW Erickson, you see we do uh, burger and fry night or chicken tender and fry night almost every Sunday night. And I can tell you from personal experience that the Publix brand and the Kroger brand uh, crispy crinkle French fries are better than the name brand uh, or item and the like. I've, I've tried them all. The generic brand, grocery store brand is actually better. Uh, and I don't know why that is, but they are. They really are. The Publix brand in particular, the Publix crispy crinkle fries. My kids love the crinkle fries. It's better. Speaking of, I, I got to tell y'all, um, if you know anyone who is a parent of a child in school right now, show them some grace these next few weeks, please, because it is the end of the school year, and I'm starting to realize on my calendar, it is insane. God bless my wife who goes to most of these events. But this is the end of the school year for people with kids in school. You've got the end of the year band concerts. You got the awards programs. You got the after school stuff. You got the parties. You got the wind down of school sports. You got all the stuff you got to start doing for next year, the sports physicals and stuff. It's nuts. It is nuts. I need a scheduler for my scheduler. Um, I, it, it's just, it, it's crazy. And then you got to start planning your summer vacations. I haven't had a like good vacation since Christmas and I, yeah, I've been gone, but I, every time I've been gone, I actually went back and looked on my calendar. Every single day off I have had since Christmas has been a day off to take care of someone else or because I was sick. Uh, it wasn't just a day off to just go like blow off steam. And I I'm, I'm at the point where I can tell I, I got to go fishing or golfing or shoot guns in Vegas or something. I need just, I need a weekend where I'm not having to shuttle kids anywhere or having to do anything for anyone else or having to go through the, what do you want for supper food? What sort of food that you eat? Well, what sort of type of food do you want to eat? The type of food that I want to eat that makes my mouth happy. What do you want for supper? I don't know. What do you want for supper? Ah! This is what we go through almost every night in our house. Weekends in particular. I need a break. We're going to go on vacation, Memorial Day. So that end of that week is my birthday, June 3rd. We're going to go to the beach. I'm not sure I can make it. You may have a live crack up on air between now and then. In any event, be patient with the parents out there because I started looking at the calendar of the amount of school stuff we have to do in the next two, three weeks before school ends. And I realized everyone else on the planet who has kids in school is going through the same thing right now. And it's nuts. It is insane. There are days where we're going to have to make two or three trips to school at different intervals just because it's the end of the school year and you got multiple kids in school. How do people do this? And then in two years, ours will be one of ours will be in college. How did I get so old? How did she get so old? I don't I don't know. Welcome back to the program. It is Eric Erickson here nationwide. Uh, for those of you who are listening in Ohio, uh, hi, WHIO in Dayton. And I've got an unbelievable, I mean, I got, I have never been able to figure out, I've got thousands and thousands of daily live listeners on the live stream at ericericksonshow.com in, in Cleveland and Cincinnati. And, and I don't know why, um, and, and I appreciate you guys listening, but it amazes me every time I look at the live stream numbers daily, how many thousands of people in Ohio listen online uh, beyond the people at WHIO in Dayton. And for you guys, I wanted to have on one of the candidates running for the U.S. Senate because I'm actually intrigued by Matt Dolan. Uh, J.D. Vance uh, gets a lot of the attention. You know, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to campaign for Vance. 
but one of the candidates who, when I encounter Democrats, they say is the one they're actually scared of, uh, has pulled into second place in Ohio. And I wanted to get him on the show. The, the Democrats think he's just probably uh, a better fit against Tim Ryan, the Democrat who's probably going to be the nominee there. And, and they're hoping he loses. And so I hope he wins. And uh, his name is Matt Dolan, and he joins me by phone. How are you? Hey, Eric. Good. How are you doing? Great. Uh, so let me ask you just uh, the overview of your race. It, it's it's kind of fascinating to me. Uh, President Trump, of course, came out, endorsed J.D. Vance the other day. He kind of pulled into first, but there's this cluster of, of all of you tied in second place. And, you know, I've seen uh, Mike Murphy's tweet and, and a number of Democrats I've talked to have said you're probably – a really good fit against the Democratic opponent, and they're 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 really kind of scared you might win this thing. Well, they should be, uh, but the reason is is because I'm the only one on the Republican side talking about Ohio, fighting for Ohio. I have conservative results in the Ohio Senate and the Ohio House. I have private sector experience, so I bring I know both sides of the paycheck. So I think voters are responding. To me, and you, you said it off the top. I mean, we have outsiders. We have Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates coming in to Ohio to tell Ohioans how they should vote for J.D. Vance. Ohioans don't even know. Now we have to rely on outsiders. And Josh is closing with Ted Cruz coming in. I mean, this is about Ohio, Eric. This is a, the next U.S. senator from Ohio. It better know Ohio, better know Ohio issues. And that's why I'm rising up in, in the polls and I'm going to finish first next Tuesday because I'm the one that has conservative results. I'm the one that doesn't have to change my message to beat, to beat the Democrats. Now let's, let's talk about Ohio. Cause you know, when, when I get on candidates uh, running nationwide uh, and I say, what, what, what's your issue? It's always, well, it's, it's Joe Biden. It's the Democrats. It's the left's agenda. What about Ohio? Uh, what's the big issue in Ohio that, that you would focus on? Well, uh, you can't separate the two. I mean, the, Ohio is an all-the-above energy state. We are blessed with every source of energy creation you can think of. But when the Biden administration on day one shut down Ohio workers uh, and shut down Ohio development of energy, you know, he, he not only raised inflation across the country, he certainly raised it here in Ohio, but he shut jobs down. Now we have a Democratic administration wants to shut down Line 5, which is a distribution pipeline to a refinery in northwest Ohio thousands of jobs at, at, at stake. So th- that's front and center. Inflation's front and center. You know, border security is front and center in Ohio because I know law enforcement. I was a prosecutor. Now I work with them in my legislative capacity. And Eric, 2021, Ohio had the most overdoses from fentanyl in the history of our state. And as I walk, you know, go around the state, talk to sheriffs and police chiefs, most of whom are supporting me, they're saying it's coming from the border. These dealers are coming right up from, from Mexico into Ohio, and people are dying. So people want – Republicans want somebody to execute, Eric. We had everything. We had the House. We had the Senate. We had the White House in 2017. Why didn't we get the border secured? Why didn't we pass Trump's plan, put it into law? I mean, that's what people are talking about, their, their financial security and their border and neighborhood security. Now, you've got a background as a lawyer and in, in business. Uh, I know your family is tied to the Cleveland Guardians. In the private sector with the economy, 
the way it is shaped right now. I want to talk to you because I'm getting a ton of phone calls from people on the issue of bailing out student loans. And it seems to me that that would, in addition to inflation and everything else, this is, we're kind of rewarding people who went into debt and punishing the people who either paid off their loans or, or never got into debt in the first place. seems like those priorities are really mixed up. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. I am against uh, uh, excusing student debt loans. Uh, we already have administration that has disincentivizing going to work, getting in, in the private sector. Instead, they want to rely on government. This is another step. This is the ability for someone to say, hey, I really don't have to work now because I don't have my responsibilities to meet. And then, Eric, if you're 21 years old, 23 years old, you get this debt excused by the government. What, what's going to – when you're 27 and you have a house debt, I don't, I don't feel like paying, paying it anymore. You know, is, are we constantly going to be looking at the government to bail us out? You know, I, I'm a partner in a law firm, and there was nothing more attractive to us than a, than a young lawyer who went out and mortgaged, got a house with a mortgage. We know that young lawyer is going to be incentivized to work. Uh, we, we've got to make sure Americans stay incentivized to work. Uh, well, I, I, I'm, I'm hearing you talk about a law firm. I was a lawyer for six years and, and I'm sorry. I, I'm glad I lucked into radio. <laughs> Not for everybody. I, I, I figured I'd get the JD and go to Washington and get involved in politics. And then I married a woman who didn't want to move to Washington. So I had to be a lawyer. <laughs> um, well, it, it is a, t- it is a tough business. You've got to be tough to, to be a successful lawyer. But you also have to work to get things done, and, and that's the same talent that, I'll, that I take to the legislature and will take to Washington. Now, let me ask you about the, the, the pro-life movement in Ohio. Some have been critical of you for not voting for a piece of pro-life legislation. And, and as I understand it, uh, you didn't vote for it because you knew it wouldn't go anywhere. Uh, and, and I want to just let you explain to people who I know one of your opponents is attacking you as not being pro-life when I know that you are and, and wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, so I'm the only one that can point to real pro-life uh, uh, results. Uh, there, you know, some of them are even in Ohio where I'm working on the pro-life movement. So if you want someone who's pro-life, look at his record. I have voted for and worked on 13 pro-life uh, bills, all of which became law, all of which survived liberal attacks by the court uh, and have done what we wanted it to do. And that's, Eric, over the course of my time in the legislature, abortion in Ohio has gone down 40 percent. I have been fortunate enough to be asked to lead the, the state budget process three times. In each of those budgets, we have invested in crisis pregnancy centers around Ohio, uh, which makes sure that the, the mother carries the baby to term and they have the proper health and wellness uh, before and after the birth. I have been singular focused on what works. There are a lot of bills that come before us which sound good and are you know, help the movement, but they do not pass legal mustard, and they they pass and they never go anywhere. And, and there's, there's a case where that's, we have bills that have not been enacted at all because they get shot down in the courts. Planned Parenthood raises money off of them. Uh, and we, we don't move them. We don't move the movement forward. For example, and I'll be quick here. The, when I talk to people about pro-life, I say, how many of you realize that the laws in Ohio, we've made it 20 weeks, viability, is at 20 weeks. We're one of, I believe, six states that has it there. And most people don't know it, Eric. You know why? Because Planned Parenthood didn't sue on that one. They did not sue. So we got into place, and we've been reducing uh, abortions. 
Now, of course, they sued at 15 weeks with Mississippi and the voice or the uh, the case before the Supreme Court. We'll see what happens, and and uh, hopefully the states will have an inevitability to end uh, end abortion. Yeah, I, I, it's I, I totally get that. By the way, I, I appreciate it, and yeah, I, I hate giving the left the opportunity to fundraise in a situation, and uh, while fundraising in that situation, us not being able to put points on the board. Real quick, before you get off of here, um, I, I've always been fascinated with Ohio, a state I haven't traveled to as much as I need to, particularly given the number of listeners I have up there. Uh, but you've got kind of the, a, a, a Rust Belt Ohio and a technology Ohio. You've got an Ohio uh, up in Cleveland that that's, um, just, I mean, just south of Detroit almost. Uh, how do you uh, navigate the different divides within Ohio to try to d- prioritize the things that you think uh, the voters of Ohio really do care about, particularly when even within Ohio there are so many regional divides? Well, you obviously do know Ohio. We, we, we do have regional divides, but we're unified by the same message. Lower taxes, less regulations, workforce development, all of the above energy, good infrastructure, no matter where in Ohio. If we create an Ohio like that, we're, we're vital for businesses. I've been a part of all that. Intel's coming to Ohio, which is the largest microprocessor because of our, because of our economic climate. That's what we need to do in Washington to make sure that more manufacturers come back to the United States, create American jobs, have a new trade alliances with countries other than China. Well, look, uh, I don't want to keep you uh, longer than I have. It's been terrific to talk to you. And best of all, I, I know the election is next week, and I know you guys are all very clustered there in second place behind J.D. And I don't have a problem with J.D. I just I, I have found it remarkable the number of Democrats I know who have been keeping their eye on you in the race, breathing a sigh of relief, and then all of a sudden you've surged and they're kind of freaked out about it. And I kind of like it when Democrats get freaked out, so hopefully you'll keep freaking them out. <laughs> Me too. We got we to gotta keep that majority. Absolutely. I get that majority. <laughs> Thank you so Thank much. You, Absolutely. Uh, State Senator Matt Dolan, he is from uh, Cuyahoga County in Ohio, uh, the Cleveland area up there, running for the U.S. Senate. And the president came in, endorsed J.D. Vance. Uh, Josh Mandel, who's been a friend of mine, he's kind of just lost his mind. I don't I don't quite under. And I've always liked Josh, uh, but Club for Growth is backing him along with Ted Cruz. Uh, and I just thought, you know, I, I know Democrats in Ohio who are just deeply, uh, petrified that Matt Dolan could get the nomination because he seems to resonate across the board. His family actually has an ownership interest in, I guess the Cleveland Indians, Cleveland guardians. So now I guess that means I know four owners of baseball teams around the country, uh, the Cubs, the Mets, the guardians and the diamondbacks. I just, I guess I'm, I'm meeting baseball owners. Not that I'm going to any of their games. I'll go to the Braves games. I don't know any of those owners. Nonetheless, uh, Matt Dolan, a, uh, a good dude, uh, who hopefully can get into this. It, there's no runoff in Ohio. So whoever gets to 25%, I think is the rule there actually, um, goes on. Uh, you're, someone's going to get to 25% there. It looks like, um, even with, I think eight candidates in the race. So thanks to Matt for stopping by. Uh, let me clear the air here, uh, by talking about Eden pure, uh, the air purifier that does clean the air. It, there are so many air purifiers and air cleaning devices on the market that actually they mask odors. They don't eliminate odors. Uh, the Eden Pure Thunderstorm actually eliminates odors. And I, I know, listen, I, I use it when I travel. I keep one in my suitcase. Uh, you can hold it in your hand. It's not a very big device, but it really packs a lot of power in it. 
and it wipes out odors uh, in your car, in your RV, in your basement. Uh, you can get three of them right now for less than $200. What you do is you go to EdenPureDeals.com. You'll see a discount code box, and you put in ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3, and you will be able to get three Eden Pure Thunderstorms for less than $200. You're saving $200, and uh, you get free shipping. You go to EdenPureDeals.com, EdenPureDeals.com. The discount code is ERIC3, E-R-I-C-K-3. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. This hour of the program is brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. It doesn't matter whether you are in Hawaii or Maine, Florida, or Washington. First Liberty can help your business become a bigger business. They've been doing this since the early 90s. The Frost family are good people. They want to help you get to yes with financing for big deals where a lot of banks are saying no. So reach out to them. Uh, we're talking like $750,000 or more, though. So it needs to be a big deal. But if you want to be a big deal, reach out to them. They're a big deal. FirstLibertyGA.com. You can get their contact info there. FirstLibertyGA.com. Tell them I sent you. So I get the credit, please. Okay. We got to move on to other stuff. Uh, y'all, I, I'm, I'm just, Joy Reid is an idiot. Can I think we can all acknowledge this. Uh, Joy Reid is the MSNBC host who apparently is not long for the world at MSNBC because she's apparently just too difficult for them to work with. Uh, she says that uh, Elon Musk misses apartheid-era South Africa from which he fled. On Tuesday night... She implied this according to Reason. SpaceX Tesla founder Elon Musk, who's in the process of purchasing Twitter, wants to own the social media site to restore the white supremacy of apartheid-era South Africa. In Reed's telling, right-wingers on Twitter have been described as being on the outside of the culture, looking in through the glass, but they don't just want to come in. They want to come in and be able to punch people in the face and walk around and laugh about it and then not have anyone to stop them. The enjoyment they get out of being in this town square is being able to harass people, being able to attack people. Elon Musk, I guess he misses the old South Africa in the 1980s. I guess he wants that back. She wasn't the only one hinting uh, that this was racism. Uh, Black Lives Matter's white activist Sean King said Musk's actions were, were, were about white power. He was raised in apartheid by a white nationalist. This, by the way, is false. He was born in Pretoria, South Africa, 1971. His parents divorced when he was a child. Musk lived with his father, Earl, an engineer who amassed a large fortune. Musk moved to Canada in 1988 when he was 17. He and his father became estranged. Uh, Musk said in 2019, Earl contributed 10% of the $200,000 angel funding round to Zip2, one of his early business issues. Um, the off-repeated claim that Elon Musk is a racist or an apartheid supporter originates from the Earl's claim that he owned a Zambian emerald mine in the 1980s. Many people have since used Earl's claim to argue the family had profited from apartheid, but the story doesn't hold up. Y'all, why? I, I, I mean, I know why, but it does get a little irksome and tiring that the best the left can do is to claim anyone who disagrees with them or they don't like is racist. Racism is a real thing. Racism is a real thing, and there are racists in the world. I know racism is real. I have seen it with my own eyes. I have been in Washington, D.C. 
standing near a black man trying to catch a cab, and the cab drivers would stop for me and not for him. I would offer him my cab because he was there first, and the cab drivers would drive away. I've been in Charleston, South Carolina, with a coworker from CNN who is black and seen tourists at the hotel while we were standing outside in our suits headed to a TV hit, hand him their luggage and car keys because they presumed he was the bellman. I've seen racism. I have white friends who have adopted black children. They tell me of their experiences. There's a uh, pastor here in Atlanta who tells the story of driving through Texas and a state patrolman pulled over his car, held him at gunpoint while he checked to make sure that his white wife was there of her own volition. No probable cause. I have a white friend in Texas who... Uh, drives a very old, beat-up pickup truck with a, um, a, a Lady of Guadalupe sticker on it. And his last name is a Hispanic last name, but he is redheaded and, and even whiter than I am. And he tells when he drives the truck through rural Texas how he gets pulled over regularly, and the police officers are always stunned to see it's a redheaded white guy who looks Irish, not Mexican, in the driver's seat, and they always kind of mumble something and leave him alone. Racism's real, but it's not everywhere, and it's not everyone. It's not overwhelming these days. Time heals all wounds, including the racial divides in this country. I think the biggest reason people are antsy about critical theory and stuff is because the people who've made so much money being race hustlers, they, they know the days are coming to an end, and they got to keep perpetuating racial wounds and tearing scabs that are otherwise healing. Uh, but racism means something, and when you call everyone who isn't racist a racist because you don't like them, it devalues real racism in the world, and it makes a lot of people disregard it when real racism shows its head. You are the boy who cried wolf. Of course, Joy Reid isn't even that. She's just an idiot uh, calling Elon Musk a racist for wanting to own Twitter.